the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. EBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Locations in new portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, these men are afraid that their wives will follow the queen's refusal to obey her husband, and they'll be in big trouble. So they propose to the king that he eliminates Vashti from the position of queen. That's, that's the thought here. And they said, and, and let it be in the, the law of the Medes and the Persians. You ever hear the term? We use it today. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, what that means is it can't be reversed. The, the law of the Medes and the Persians, I think it's a ridiculous thing that they had, but nonetheless, that's what they had. It was inflexible. When you passed a law, you could not reverse it. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been leading us on a journey through the remarkable book of Esther. It is a captivating story with some surprising twists. Yet the most important lesson through it all is that nothing takes God by surprise. Rather, he is in complete control and is working out his plans in a way no man can stop. King Xerxes was guilty of making a foolish, drunken demand of his wife. When she rebuffed his order, he unwisely listened to the drunken advice of his lords and counselors. Sadly, these decisions, made in a stupor of wine, rage, and pride, became the law of the land and could not be changed. But God was in it all. He had a plan. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us more. Let me show you something exciting. Daniel predicted this. Years before, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 2, we read, And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to arise in Persia. Now they already have have arisen at this point. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. So Xerxes is the most powerful king that Persia has ever had. As soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. Now, Daniel predicted that years before, and yet God is true to his word. And here now is King Xerxes, who is ready in the third year of his reign to attack Greece. But something happened the last seven days of the party. And we read in verses 5 through through 8, And when these days were completed, that is the six months, the 180 days, The king gave a banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Susa, the capital, from the greatest to the least in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Apparently what had happened was all his military leaders were having a big feast going on for six months. But in the last seven days, he probably opened it, not not really to the whole city, but more likely to the palace. Okay, so all of the attendants could come. Everybody was included in this from the lowest uh, people to the highest people. Verse six. There were hangings of fine white and violet linen held by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement 
of porphyry and marble and mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds, and the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's liberty, and the drinking was done according to the law. There was no compulsion, for so the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of each person. Now, probably what this is saying is that it was pretty impressive, very impressive, and that's why the writer, and we don't know the, who the human writer of this was, by the way, but that's why the writer probably tells us all these gorgeous things were happening. And then the king said, let anyone and everyone drink as much as they want to drink of wine. We know the Persians loved wine. See, under normal circumstances, the king would pledge his servants to drink only a certain amount of wine. But on this occasion, they could drink as much as they wanted. If they didn't want to drink much, they wouldn't. But from what we know of Persia, we know that they took advantage of this and they drank a lot of wine and got drunk. So you can well imagine the scene, a big feast, a big party in which most everybody is drunk. So we move from the king's feast now to the king's fury. While the king was engaged in his drunken banquet, his wife, Queen Vashti, was giving her own party to the women. Verse 9 tells us, Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the place which belonged to King Ahasuerus. Now, who did she give this banquet to? Well, she probably gave the banquet to the wives of the military leaders. Persian queens usually sat at the king's table to eat, but not when, uh, not always when there was great banquets. Okay, so she in another part of the palace is holding her own banquet, her, her women's club banquet, okay? Now picture the scene. For 180 days, Xerxes has been vainly showing off the riches of, of his kingdom to impress these men, to inspire them to go out and fight as best that they can, to impress his subordinates, to fire them up, to fill their minds with confidence, and he decides to show off his beautiful wife. Now, by the way, when we begin to read the names of, of his servants and the eunuchs and all. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, so bear with me. I, I'm just going to make a mess of it, but uh, that's okay. You, you understand. Verses 10 through 12 say this. On the seventh day, now that's the end of the, of the drunken party, okay? They've been drinking all that they want, and on the seventh day, the end of it, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, need I say more? The man was drunk. He commanded... Mehumen, Bizda, see what I mean? Harbona, Bigda, Abiktha, Zethar, and Carcas, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus. Now he commanded these to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. Then the king became very angry and his wrath burned within him. Now, he did this while he was drunk, and it's something he probably would not have done in his right mind. He said, bring her here, and uh, she refused to come to the banquet. Why? We're not told. I have read commentaries who try to tell us what it is, but we don't know. There are some who say that, uh, speculated that the king would have had her appear naked before these men, and she just said, there's no way that I'm going to do it. We don't know, though. Let me say what I think is the best guess. 
What we know from the Middle East and Persia, even, even to this day, is that women are veiled. The only time they are not veiled is for their husbands. Uh, they are uh, dressed modestly. They do not appear before men without their veils and a lot of covering. And it is my speculated guess, and I think it is a proper one, that what he wanted her to do was something that just went against the grain of her culture, at least to take the veil off and to display her before these men. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. She didn't want to lose her dignity and appear before some drunken men. And yes, maybe there is a fear of what they would have done to her. We don't know, though. But for whatever reason, she refused to appear. Uh, what's important to the story is that she didn't appear. That's all we're told. She did not appear. And he was so furious that he dismissed her as queen. Verses 13 through 15 say, Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, they understood what was happening. These men were the current event leaders of their day. They understood uh, the social implications. For it was the custom of the king, so to speak, before all who knew law and justice and were close to him. Karshina and, and, and Shethar and Admatha and Tarshish and Meris and Marcina and Memuken, the seven princes of Persia and Medea, Media rather, who had access to the king's presence and sat in the first place in the kingdom. Now these were really his cabinet men. According to law, what is to be done with Queen Vashti because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuch? So he says, men, what are we going to do? Now, I think Dr. McGee in his, in his uh, book on Esther paints a graphic scene of what, what this must have been like. He said, you can imagine the king getting up at the banquet and announcing, now, gentlemen, I have a real treat for you. I have sent for my queen. I want you to see her. She's a beauty. I want to introduce her to you so that you can see all the wealth and the wonder of this kingdom. And then he said, in a few moments, a chamberlain walks up behind him and whispers, she won't come. She's not coming. She won't come. He said, imagine having to get up and say, I'm very sorry, gentlemen, but we've had to change the program of the evening. Our main attraction didn't arrive. Uh, we'll not be having the queen this evening. Well, he says, that started the buzzing through the banquet. The thousand or more guests probably began to say, is he a king or is he not a king? What kind of a king can't even command his own wife? You see, that's probably the scene. Here he wants to impress everybody with his power and his wealth, and he can't even get his wife to respond to him. That's a big problem when you're getting prepared to go to war with Greece. But not only that, it became a national crisis. And these men who understood the times understood that we're not just talking about attacking Greece here. We're talking about going home tonight. Okay? Verses 16 through 22. And this is narrative, and that's why we're moving through this quickly. This is not something you have to belabor the point on. Uh, narrative is different than, than doctrinal statements that we find in the New Testament. But starting in verse 16, we read, And in the presence of the king and the princes, Memekin said, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. In other words, what she's done is not an isolated incident. Not something we can keep under the carpet here. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, causing them to look with contempt on their husbands by saying, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought into his presence, but she did not come. 
what he is saying is, gentlemen, do you realize that there is going to be a women's liberation revolt? That, that's really what he's saying. He's saying, men, I've got to go home tonight. And I'll say, dear, I'd like dinner. And she'd say, you know where the refrigerator is? Something like that. And this day, the ladies of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's conduct, will speak in the same way to all the king's princes, and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. If Queen Vashti can get away with it, then they're going to say they can get away with it. You've got to do so. You've got to make an example of her is what they're saying. If it pleases the king, let a royal edict be issued uh, by him, and let it be written the law of the Persians and the Medes, so that it cannot be repeated that Vashti should come no more into the presence of King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is more worthy than she. And when the king's edict which he shall make is heard throughout all his kingdom, great as it is, then all women will give honor to their husbands, great and small. And this word pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Memekin proposed. By the way, remember that they are drunk at this time. And so he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province according to its script. And they had, a, they had by the way, a, a ancient Pony Express where they did have tremendous mail system, and they could get uh, rather quickly uh, to all the provinces and to every people according to their language that every man should be the master in his own house and the one who speaks in the language of his own people. That last phrase, by the way, probably means that they had people of different languages uh, in the home and uh, if, if what was spoken in the home was the wife's language, that was probably to them a sign of rebellion. So what they're saying is make sure that what's spoken in your home is the man's language, okay? That's, that's probably what it means. Now, these men are afraid that their wives will follow the queen's refusal to obey her husband, and they'll be in big trouble. So they propose to the king that he eliminates Vashti from the position of queen. That's, that's the thought here. And they say, and, and let it be in the, the law of the Medes and the Persians. You ever hear the term? We use it today. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, what that means is it can't be reversed. The, the law of the Medes and the Persians, I think it's a ridiculous thing that they had, but nonetheless, that's what they had. It was inflexible. When you passed a law, you could not reverse it. Big problems with that kind of law, okay? Especially when you're drunk and you make a law like that. And I think what's at the heart of these men saying this is, is make sure it's of the law of the Medes and the Persians because they feared if we told the king, if we gave him this advice and the queen ever gets to power again, we're in big trouble. So let's make sure that she can never get to power again and it must be a law. Now, I want you to know there are some Bible teachers who spend a great deal of time debating whether Vashti was correct in disobeying her husband or not. That's not even the issue. In fact, we don't know if she was correct. We don't know what he wanted her to do. We don't know what he wanted her to do, so we can't answer that. And secondly, she's not a believer anyway. She's never read Ephesians chapter 5. She's never even read Genesis uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 about Adam and Eve. She doesn't know that. So that's really not... Not the issue. And I've, I've read commentators who want to want to bring New Testament truths in. That, that's not the point. The point is this. Even in a pagan culture, God is in control. Even where they've never read Genesis, even where they've never heard the names Adam and Eve, God is in control. Do you believe God is in control of the affairs of your job, your school, your family? You say, but they aren't saved. And I've had people say that to me, but wait a minute, they aren't saved. 
That's not the issue. Neither was Xerxes saved. Neither was Vashti saved. Neither were these men who recommended that she be exiled and disposed of. Neither were they saved. They were not believers. They were pagans. They were, they were into astrology. They were into the occult. The religion of their day was uh, Zoroastrianism, which is really astrology. But do you believe that God is in control of your unsaved friends and contacts? Sure he is. God called Nebuchadnezzar my servant. My servant. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan king. Maybe later he came to know the true God, but not at the beginning. He was a, was a pagan. God said he is my servant. In other words, God will use anything and anyone to accomplish his plan. How about Judas? God used Judas. He certainly did. Did God approve of what Judas did? Absolutely not. He, he used him. He said, I don't understand that. Join the club. I don't understand it either, but that's the way providence works. How about Caesar Augustus? Remember in the Gospels, Caesar Augustus says that I need some taxes. And so I want everybody to return to their home uh, city and town to have a census because I need taxes for my, for my uh, empire. What he didn't know was that hundreds of years before that, the, pro- the prophet Micah had said in chapter 5, verse 2, that out of Bethlehem shall come the Messiah. God had to get Joseph and Mary and the child, Jesus, while even still in the womb, down to Bethlehem to be born. Did Caesar Augustus care about the Messiah? No. No, he just needed money. He didn't didn't even know about prophecy. But God ruled in his heart without him even being aware of it. That's, That's what this is teaching. That's the message of Esther and God is ruling at this point in our study in the, in the affairs of Persia because he's just made room for a new queen to ascend to the throne. The stage is set for the rise of Esther. So from the king's feast, we move to the king's fury and now to favor. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed Against her. In other words, when he sobered up, he realized, uh oh, did I make a mistake? Then the king's attendants who served him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king, and let the king appoint overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to Susa, the capital, to the harem, into the custody of Hege, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women. And let their cosmetics be given them. Then let the young lady who pleases the king be queen in place of Vashti, and the matter pleased the king, and he did accordingly. Even though the king was sober now and rethought his position, in fact, some tell us that there was that the the war took place between Greece and Persia in between chapters one and two. Uh, but in either case, time had passed, and he was sober now, and he realized what he had done, but he couldn't change it. It was too late. The law of the Medes and the Persians were in effect, could not be reversed. So a beauty contest was held in Persia to replace Vashti, verses 5 through 7. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the capital, whose name was Mordecai. 
the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Simply means he comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah, Jeconiah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. And he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, that was her Hebrew name, Hadassah, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. We're introduced now to Esther. Mordecai is her cousin. He's older than her, but he's her cousin. Now, I take it that in these verses, it is not Mordecai who was taken from Jerusalem. It may look like that, but in the grammatical construction of of the Hebrew, um, it could be that they are referring to Kish, his great-grandfather, who was taken from Jerusalem. And I think that's more accurate, because otherwise... Uh, just chronologically, Mordecai would be 115 and Esther would be around 80. So probably it, it means that Kish was taken and Mordecai and Esther were born in the lands of Persia. Mordecai, as I said before and in the past message, was a disobedient Jew. He never speaks of Jerusalem, even though other Jews we know longed in their hearts under Daniel in Daniel's day to go back to Jerusalem. He never speaks of the temple, never speaks of of prayer, speaks of fasting, but never of prayer, never mentions God. I believe he was an unregenerate Jew, uh, disobedience, but he was a responsible one, courageous, and he did care for Esther. He did the right thing when Esther's parents uh, died, were killed, we don't know how. He, he took her as his own daughter. Her Hebrew name was Hadassah, which is a famous Jewish name. There is a hospital in Israel today named Hadassah. There is a, the Jewish, a Jewish women's group, very famous, called Hadassah. It's the same name as Esther. So if you know someone named uh, Esther, her Hebrew name is Hadassah. In God's sovereignty, he gave Esther physical beauty. And in God's providence, all of God's providence, and this is the way he providentially provided for Israel and preserved them, he gave this woman great physical beauty. Verses 8 and 9 said, say this, So it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard, and many young ladies were gathered to Susa, the capital, into the custody of Hege, that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Hege, who was in charge of the women. Let's just stop there for a moment. I told you in the first message that that, that Hebrew word for taken does not mean taken by force. It is the same word used of Mordecai taking her as his own daughter. It was a voluntary thing. She did not have to do this. She wanted to be queen, and Mordecai wanted her to be queen. She was not forced against her will. Verse 9, now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him. So he quickly provided her with with her cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace, and transferred her and her maids to the best palace, or best place rather, in the harem. So she found favor in uh, in the man's eyes, Haggai's eyes. Accident? Coincidence? No, God's providence. 
Most Christian parents have, from time to time, needed to remind their children that it is God who makes us look the way we look. But we generally give these kinds of talks to encourage them when they feel inferior about their appearance, and not when they are feeling proud or conceited about their beauty. In other words, while we frequently use God's providence over our physical looks as a kind of coping mechanism, it seems we rarely think of beauty and good looks as something to be used for God's glory. Esther was beautiful because God made her that way, and he used her beauty to accomplish his purposes. Her good looks were designed for his glory, not hers. And God has made each of us just the way he wants us, with very specific reasons for doing so. We may never know just what those reasons are, but we can rest assured that he has a good purpose to accomplish through even our physical appearance, and we should seek to glorify him in the way that we think of it and use it. Verse by Verse features the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside for more than 25 years, and he has a sincere passion to clearly communicate God's truth for the benefit of God's people. The church also reaches out to its community by offering quality Christian education at Lakeside Christian School. LCS was founded in 1975 to provide the youth of today with the academic and spiritual training to be the Christian adults of tomorrow. Every aspect of the school's educational program is centered on the eternal truths of God's Word and promotes the development of each student to reach his highest potential. You can learn more about the school or about other ministries of Lakeside Community Chapel by visiting the church's website, lakesidechapel.com. And of course, there is also a verse-by-verse website where you can learn more about this radio ministry. Sign up for our free news journal and download previous broadcasts of the radio program. The address is versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 